Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is It's Lights On and Away We Go. That's applied on Twitter by Renault underscore Lucian. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Uh, it's going great, you know. Got ready for a show, filed some taxes, and here we are. And there's going to be barely anything to talk about, as far as I can tell. Oh, I don't know. I loved that race, to be honest with you. It was fun. I liked the strategy. I liked more than one stop. I liked more than two phases of the race. I liked Ferrari being in the fight. I liked Bottas winning in the manner he did. There was a lot to like. No, I mean, it was actually a thoroughly engaging race from start, and especially start to finish. Okay, well, let's talk about it then. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thanks. Good to be back. And video man, Steve Amy. G'day, Steve. G'day, Spanners. How are you going? Yeah, I'm going well. I feel like I've actually slept about 18 times this weekend. So since we've got a very international crew today, I want to kind of see how we all watch the race. So we've got we've got um, Asia represented, sorry, Australasia represented by Steve. We've got Matt over there in the Americas. And then for the British contingent, we've got me and Kyle, who have very different lifestyles. So Kyle, you're like a party animal. The party never stops. Whereas for me, the the party really never starts. Uh, how did you approach the the, the qualifying? Because you actually, what? In fact, everyone here watched qualifying <clears throat> except me. <laughs> yeah, I stayed up. My partner's away in Barcelona, so I'm home alone. So I stayed up drinking, watching the qualifying live. And then I managed to go to sleep around about 3.30, got a few hours shut eye and watched the 9.30 rerun. So I didn't watch it live, but oh. it was a full rerun at 9.30. So it worked out really well for me. 
Now, see, Matt, you, I don't think, would have watched the rerun because you like watching the race with the live timings. Yeah, no, it's it's ever so much more complete to be able to watch it with the timings. I have the timings, the data channel, and the tracker. And delightfully, they're rarely in sync, along with the audio that comes along with the F1 app, which is the Five Live audio. None of it is in the same place. So usually the timing is first, then randomly, perhaps the audio next, or maybe the tracker, or possibly the data channel, and then almost always the picture is last, which is useful because you can see something like red flag and look up, and 30 seconds later, you see what happened. So it's actually kind of nice. It's like living slightly in the future. See, I was using a stream and the timing app kind of ruined it for me today because what was key was whether Hamilton was going to pit or not at various times. And I could see it on the timing screen about a lap before the streaming. So I had to kind of just glance over and kind of restrict how much I was looking at it if I didn't feel like a a very short spoiler. Uh, But Steve, for you, it must have been for once a, a sort of normal time. Uh, no, it wasn't normal at all because uh, the Bathurst 1000 was on at the same time. The delayed uh, uh, qualifying meant that uh, qualifying started about half an hour after the Bathurst race started. So I'm sitting in the living room with two televisions running, switching backwards and forwards between them, uh, trying to keep you know, figure out what's going on on both of them. So I watched qualifying, but it was a bit difficult. I tell you what, Carl, we are very spoilt here in Europe, aren't we? Because we, we're so used to it being very European timing centric. As soon as it's slightly different, boy, do we love a good moan. I, I actually get offended sometimes if I have to get up at uh, an obtuse hour to go and do it. And then, and then I suddenly, as soon as I'm getting annoyed by having to get up at like three in the morning, I, 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 I realise how lucky we are here. I do feel for our, um, our counterparts across the pond. Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys about qualifying because despite coming back from work yesterday and having a three-hour nap to make sure I could stay up for qualifying, I actually passed out at half past 10. So I got nowhere near qualifying. And then my backup alarms woke me up at 5am. So, uh, Matt, Saturday was washed out. What happened in qualifying? All I saw was that it was red flags. And then looking at the team order, none of the drivers were in the right order. In fact, I think someone in our team WhatsApp asked if Stroll and Perez's transponders had got mixed up somehow. Uh, Bottas had outqualified Hamilton and the Ferrari seemed like they were in the wrong order as well. Yeah, well, it was it was pretty interesting. It was very windy during qualifying. I think the wind dropped some by the time the race came, but they had 30, 35 kilometer an hour gusts, which, as we have seen in the past, is not always the best thing in the world for cars with sensitive aerodynamics. And so what we had almost immediately was uh, Robert Kubica putting it into the wall in the first session and bringing out a red flag. And then about five minutes after the session restarted, you had Kevin Magnuson doing essentially the same thing, only with slightly less damage. So he was actually able to get his car back round to the pits. Both of them needed major rebuilds in a very short period of time in order to be in the race. Any concern over Kubitz's crash? Because I know Chris Stevens messaged us to say that it was one of the sort of, well, he's a daftest looking crashes he'd seen. Yeah, no, it, it, he was getting slated pretty handily by the uh, commentariat, as I like to call them, for making what looked like a rookie error, although they were willing to revisit the wind being a proximate cause once Magnuson did basically exactly the same thing. But what emerged after was the fact that not only did he not have the front wing that he ran in practice, but that Williams had actually changed out his steering and it was different 
to what he'd been running with in practice. And that was, uh, that was his, if you heard in his radio comments, that was his irritation because the steering was completely different to what he'd gotten used to. And he felt that was uh, a major cause of the incident. I do think there was a bit of a case of egg on face as well. He was he was upset about the wing, but but yeah, it was a bit of a silly error. He was just caught out. He got taken out wide. And incidentally, I don't think the Magnuson crash was anything to do with the wind at all. If you look at him go into chicane, he hits the first curb really hard. The car's porpoising. He then spanks the second curb on the exit and then gets on the power as the car is still bouncing. So I think that was more to do with just the car being unsettled than anything to do with the wind. He was asking far too much at the rear end. You have a little, more than a little loss of downforce with a tailwind. So that, if he picked up a particularly strong gust at that time, and all of the drivers were a bit nervous about it, and it was a tailwind at that very section. Uh, so that's problematic in terms of getting the rear end to behave. So one half. Now, for, for people looking out for Albon, it was quite interesting for me to wake up and see that he was on exactly the same time as uh, Max Verstappen. Carl, is this, a, is this something where we're kind of looking for too small a, a victory or was, was that genuine? Is that a sign of him getting up to speed? I'm not entirely sure. I think it might have something to do with um, Verstappen was complaining quite a lot on the radio about the power bit not being delivered right and he was having some dropouts and blips down the straight. But um, I think while we're excited about it is this the first time the two Red Bulls have been so close in qualifying like Gasly didn't get that close to to Verstappen so it was a fantastic lap from Albon but I do think that Verstappen was hindered somewhat tell you what guys let's move on to finding out how the race was won or lost And the Innovation Award in new ways to completely throw away potential glory goes to... Oh my God, it's Ferrari! They've done it again! Ferrari, Matt, they could be sitting here with five straight wins, but they keep finding new and interesting ways to throw it away. How did they lose that front row lockout? Well, in a most remarkably creative way. Um, I mean, really, just talk about pulling pulling the bag out of the hat there. Uh, I really thought it would be the strategy that that did them in, but truly it was the moments for the drivers to, well, um, I mean, I guess you could call it shine, so to speak. It was all done at the start. It was actually done before the start. For Ferrari versus Mercedes, the moment Vettel started moving, their entire race was done. Now, I, I know we'll talk about this later, but effectively, he started to move, stopped, and right when he stopped, that's when the lights went out. And this let uh, everyone's favorite Botas just roar by him. So their entire strategy being predicated on being in the lead was already out the window, and they didn't have the car to overtake Mercedes. So that was done. But even worse, our friend, Charles Leclerc, was distracted by Vettel's movement. He missed the lights, and this let Verstappen get around around him, and almost entirely around him, out of turn two. And that's where he understeered like a deranged shopping trolley that was fully laden directly into the side of Verstappen, putting him back to P18 and ultimately out of the race and with uh, various penalties forthcoming, ruined any chance he had at playing any part of the race and opened it up for Mercedes to split strategies against Vettel, who was left sandwiched in between. 
Yeah, that's a, a really good summary of how that race was set up. Yeah, so obviously Leclerc put himself out of it. Valtteri Bottas earned the right via that pole to take advantage of Sebastian Vettel's antics on the start line. But Kyle, I wonder if you picked up on this. Hamilton was actually overlapping Leclerc going into turn one. And as we've seen a few times this season, he he actually broke early or earlier than Leclerc for turn one. And now I've seen this a few times and I don't think it's because Hamilton just can't break as late as the cars he's racing. He seems to take a much more survivalist approach to the first lap these days. As you would if you were leading the championship with the most to lose. So <laughs> you're, you're not going to be throwing out the inside torpedo style. Um, he's been very cautious on the, on the first laps. Um, in this case, it kind of didn't help him much because he got stuck behind Leclerc throwing like Mario Kart style debris back into his face. And the, actually the thing that a lot, not a lot of people picked up on Hamilton's car was damaged by turn three, by a bit of front wing coming off and snapping off one of the little uh, wings on the top of the nose on the left-hand side. It's when Hamilton went up the inside of science. We all thought it was a bit of front wing that come off science or Hamilton. It was actually a bit of Hamilton's wing broken off by Leclerc's shedding debris already. Oh, right. So not just his wing mirror, he actually lost some of his wing as well. Yeah, before that. Oh, right. So that did set us up beautifully, Matt, didn't it? Because when you've got, when you've got a, a team leading and you, and he also has his teammate with him, but you have another competitive car in the mix, that, that churns up all sorts of strategy connotations. So now you're sitting there going, I kind of don't know how this is going to work out. You've got, more than arguably the least fast over a race distance Mercedes out in front. You've got arguably the least fast, ultimately, Ferrari in second place. And you've got the world champion in possibly the fastest race pace combination in third place. And and that really set us up for 50 really intriguing laps. Yes, it absolutely did. And the thing that made it better was the fact that with the running on Friday, but none on Saturday, the teams were low on data. So the exact amount of tire degradation and how the tires would behave was still a bit of an unknown. And this played a crucial role later on when we start talking about the pit stops and and why Hamilton ultimately wound up with a two-stop instead of a one-stop race. But for the moment, what it meant was no one, Pirelli had said uh, one stopper was the fastest, lap 24, lap 27, soft to medium. And we did see some people do that. Carlos Sainz did it, Daniel Ricciardo did it, um, and a couple of other midfielders did do that. But this was not going to be the case. And you could see clearly that uh, Vettel was not able to keep up with Valtteri at all. He, he reached a point where they were in stasis. They just sort of kept the same gap. Um, but Hamilton, uh, by the same token, wasn't fast enough or wasn't choosing to be fast enough to try and get round Vettel either. So they sort of went around and waiting to see who was going to blink first. And as luck would have it, or as actually probably physics would have it, that would be Vettel suffering with uh, tire degradation and starting to lose pace around lap 17. He was in, and this was now clearly a two-stop race for Ferrari because they put him back out on the soft tires. I see, Steve, you've been around an awful long time. An awful, awful long time. Like, like I mean, ages and ages and ages. Uh, so you've seen the evolution of these these cars as much as any of us. Suzuka, I don't think, was always this kind of track where you couldn't overtake or, you know, have I, have I misinterpreted that? Looking back at some of the old footage, 
Suzuka used to be bigger. And, and now it feels like going back to your old primary school where everything seems tiny. And it, it, even on the onboards, the track just seems almost Monaco-y. Well, the cars these days are so much bigger. Uh, I mean, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, the the cars were so much smaller and so much more nimble that they got around the track um, uh, with a lot more ease, uh, perhaps a little less speed. Um, but really, I mean, Suzuka is one of my very favourite tracks, and I, I love it. Um, but these cars are now... So wide, so long, and so fast that they are outgrowing this track. I think. I think that's part of the problem. Um, you know, I'd like to put my hand up and say we should, in fact, begin uh, looking for ways to make the cars lighter again, rather than you know heavier at each iteration, which seems to be what's happening. Well, well yeah. If we don't, we're going to start losing these tracks, and Suzuka's in danger of becoming another Barcelona. But what was interesting, Steve, was Vettel said, you know, he only braked properly once in his qualifying lap, which means that, you know, these tracks are being effectively straightened out by the ease of which the cars can be operated. Hmm. Well, look at um, uh, 130R. Mm -hmm. These days, it's just, I mean, you're flat out out of spoon until you hit the chicane. And in the days when I first started watching, um, going through 130R flat out just didn't happen. The cars couldn't sustain the, the downforce. Um, so yeah, I mean, these days, if you want a car to actually have a corner to go through, it's got to be greater than, you know, 45 degrees before the car will even recognize it. It's not just flat out. It's flat out one handed while you're holding your wing mirror on. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So yeah, we saw the pictures of Leclerc being able to use his left hand. So, you know, not even the strongy outsidey hand, which you might think would be easier, but he was steering through that complex with, with one hand his left hand while reaching across his body to hold his wing mirror down. And that, that kind of thing, when you see that does make you kind of go, Ooh, but, but the reason I started going into that, Matt was we were talking about pit strategy. So we're restricted in overtaking, which can mean sometimes that the cars can hold off for a one stop, like with Singapore, like with Monaco, we weren't quite at that stage here. I think had, am I right in thinking had Vettel stayed out for much longer, he would have been a sitting duck for, for Lewis Hamilton, Carl, in fact. Yeah, this this these circuits, even though it doesn't offer many braking zones, we tend, particularly in the turbo hybrid area, to see good racing at Suzuka. And I think it's about it's all about the ERS at Suzuka and where they deploy and they decide to harvest and deploy. Like for now, for instance, in this era, we're seeing a lot of passes into spoon curve, where in the nineties you never used to see people pass into spoon curve, and so so it's just a different a different track, but. You can't hang on for a one stop when your when your tires are dropping away because there's so many fast, high speed, high load corners which we don't have at Monaco or Singapore where you can trundle around. Here you really are exposed. And, and Matt, I think this is where if you were looking for a Hamilton win, not me, I'm neutral no matter what the iTunes reviews say. If you were looking for a Hamilton win here, uh, this was kind of key. So Vettel came in early. You could see that the the Mercedes could probably carry on for longer. However, the undercut was strong. Uh, Vettel, uh, Vettel had put himself on a strong two-stop stop strategy. And this is really where the race went away from Hamilton, having to do those extra slower laps. Yeah, well, I mean, you say it went away from him. But if I'm Mercedes... 
And I know with a first and a third, I win the constructors championship. I'm not so sure this is a, a correct way to characterize it from a Mercedes team point of view. But what we can absolutely say is that Mercedes clearly chose to split their strategy at that point. Uh, they covered off Vettel with Botas without issue, put him on the medium tire. So he was potentially okay to go to the end uh, by the sporting regs. And then what happened was Hamilton stayed out and within, uh, what was it, about two more laps, started losing massive chunks of time, well over a second a lap. And he was uh, unhappy about this. He did not know that this would be occurring. And he could sense that his chance to win the race was going away. But we've seen Mercedes employ this strategy, running him long in the past, and it mm. has been successful. So it's not yeah. a surprise they wanted to see if it would work. Uh, and yeah, easy in hindsight to say that it, it didn't work. However, uh, they what I missed early on was they, they told Bottas that he was on a two-stop and that Hamilton wasn't going to two-stop. Uh, Kyle? Um, well, I thought it was quite strange in Lewis's interview afterward afterwards in that regards uh, because he said that he wished he'd known he could have made a one-stop work and he would have treated the tyres differently so I think Lewis had been told he was always going to be on a two-stop so it's unusual I think Valtteri was just checking that Lewis hey guys Lewis is definitely pitting isn't he um so sort of coming because Hamilton was kind of bemoaning the fact that he didn't look after his tyres enough to make the one-stop work see but this is this is the key thing when Hamilton came in First of all, the target lap would have been 24. I'm pretty sure the original plan was to run him to lap 24, put him on the medium tire, have him run a one-stop race. But it was very clear that Vettel was going to be, and probably other people as well, were going to be inside his pit window if he stayed on those tires. So they had to switch him to a two-stop. If they wanted to keep him on a one-stop, they would have had to have put him on the hard tire, and they flat out said, we have no data on that tire. It's an unknown. And if you go and look at the midfield, look at the people who put the hard tire on, look at where they finished, and you'll know that Mercedes made the right choice in that instance. Because I'm not convinced the hard tire would have been worth them running. They would have probably had to bring him back in and give him another stop anyway. Yeah, and why jeopardize you've got a nailed on win with Bottas you're going to boost his confidence it's similar to what I said about in Singapore when they flipped Vettel from third to first um you're boosting Bottas's Bottas's confidence you you can't deny him of the win after he's done everything right even if you would have let them back through but then mm. Hamilton would have been a sitting duck on old tires against Vettel Ooh. with that Ferrari straight line straight line speed advantage if if Vettel had got anywhere near the DRS zone of that Mercedes he would have breezed past down the straight so it was better to give Hamilton a fighting chance of taking Vettel at the end than it was for him trying to hang on because I don't believe he would have been able to hang on Steve um I have a question it appears to me that the tire degradation was a lot higher this year than it has been in the past um it, is there a reason for that was it because the uh, typhoon came through and washed you know, uh, all the rubber off the track and it was a really green track starting again on Sunday. Uh, I'd just like to know what, what you guys thought was, why was the tyre dig so much higher this year than it is normally? I'll take this one. No, I'm only kidding. Matt? Well, uh, two reasons. One, exactly as you cited, the track wasn't nearly as rubbered in as normal and that always plays a part in the interaction of the the tyre and the surface. But I think equally, we've seen all of the teams have a much harder time keeping the tires where they need to be 
to extract the most um, traction from them. And once you get outside of the sweet spot, then you also increase the physical degradation of the tread. And so I think it's probably a combination of those two. And I think you have to add to it as well. They didn't have their normal full weekend. So probably things, suspension settings and whatnot, weren't as optimum for most of the teams as they normally would be on a Sunday. So really interesting dynamic between the teammates. I think the the key thing that we can say for definite is whatever they were trying to do with Bottas, whatever favour people might want to suggest that they did him today, they certainly didn't share that information with Lewis Hamilton. Lewis desperately wanted to win that race. He was going all out to win. Uh, and at the end, when Toto Wolff came on the radio, which he normally he doesn't and, and certainly doesn't make a habit of coming on and talking to his third place driver, he came on with the specific intent to say, Lewis, we know you are annoyed. We have just won the team championship. Let me remind you in no uncertain terms that we are all celebrating the team championship. And Lewis kind of, his answer was just muted. It was perfect. And it was just passive aggressive enough to get that message across because he, he just went, yep, congratulations to you guys. And a very subtle difference. He didn't say, yes, we've clinched the team world championship. He said, yeah, well done, you guys. You know, fantastic. He was clearly, clearly annoyed, Kyle. You can understand why. Yeah, he was annoyed. And it was a veiled, don't be a numpty Lewis message from Toto, wasn't it? Toto, Toto, Mr. Wolf. Um, yeah, it was a veiled message from him to tell Lewis to keep the toys in the pram. Which it, 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 it was a, yeah. barely did, but he just about managed it. But then afterwards, he saw on videos online he was celebrating quite hardly with the team. Yeah. But at the spur of the moment, yeah, one unhappy boy. It was a PR message, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, it was. And in his defense, which I know, like he needs anyone defending him. In whose defense? In his defense, if if you read his remarks or, or heard his remarks after the race. When he talked about winning the race, he talked about being on that hard tire that was an unknown, not being on the medium tire. And I suspect that most of it was the strategy got switched without him being informed of what was going on. And I suspect that's where most of his peak was really aimed, is that the communication between him and the race engineer didn't properly apprise him from his point of view of what was going on in the race. So that essentially he wound up in this position where he felt like it had he known uh, from the start, either on the medium tire or on, or on the hard tire, if he'd had the information from the start, he felt like he had the skill to make a one-stop work. Mm. But where I would disagree with him is that on that medium tire, I think Mercedes had every reason to not run it that many laps. And I'm just going to say three words, Vettel 15 Spa. They didn't want to take a chance uh, of a tire wow, blowout like the, that in 130R. Okay. Well, that hasn't happened for a while. And uh, I know, okay, so Kyle thinks that if he'd have stayed out there, he'd have gone to, got hunted down by Bottas. I, I don't quite agree. If you looked at the maths and the difference in lap times, when Bottas first came out uh, of his second stop, the lap times were actually equal for a few laps. And then Bottas started edging out a, a third of a second, half a second. You think, well, that's coming down. But that, that advantage was going to disappear. The, the soft, the soft kind of drops off, you know, at, at a fair pace. And I think there was going to come a time where it leveled off. And I, I personally believe Hamilton could have managed that gap. However, it would have been brutally unfair 
because Bottas did not have the opportunity to also do a one-stop and be in that position. And he may well have been able to do that one-stop as well. He he had to cover off Vettel, though. They had to cover off Vettel. Otherwise, it would have been both Bottas and Hamilton stuck behind Vettel. And that wouldn't have been good either. Bottas is even less capable of getting past uh, a Ferrari on a narrow track that has a straight line speed advantage. I think once, once you had, once you had pitted Bottas and, and, and you, you then had to pit Hamilton just because of how the season has gone. Like Bottas, is this his second win of the, of the season? So he, I, yeah, I think it is. is it, no, and he won in uh, Baku as well and, and some, and Australia. There you go. So Australia, due to uh, um, an aerodynamic floor issue, possibly helped him. Uh, Hamilton had an issue, but Baku he won and he could have won and he could have finished ahead of Hamilton on on other races where he was ordered to hold station. So on balance, it would be very, very harsh to have taken this win away from him because he did everything right. He qualified on pole. He beat Hamilton. He beat Hamilton off the line. He beat Vettel off the line. He beat Leclerc off the line. Uh, And to say, well, no, you now have to lose because you covered off Vettel for us would have been incredibly harsh. Yeah, you you can't do it to him. Uh, He was fastest in both Friday practice sessions as well. So he was apart from qualifying where Ferrari just had that pace advantage, but he, he, he drove a stellar race, but I don't think Hamilton would have been able to hold on. Look at the end of the first stint. I think Hamilton Bottas was 10 seconds behind Hamilton and within three laps, he'd pretty much caught that up when they pitted Lewis, like Lewis tires were gone. So he could have matched the pace until mm. the drop off happens. But when he, I think the cliff was a very real problem at this track. Again, with the high speed corners, Hamilton couldn't have held on. He would have just got to a point. He would have hit critical point and his pace would have just fallen away. Okay. But according to what I believe is the very dubious and very guessy fancy new tire graphic that seemed to be supplied, Kyle. Uh, according to that, Lewis Hamilton still had 70% left on his mediums. But I, I don't trust that graphic at all. Because when he was hunting down Sebastian Vettel in the last part of the race, it said that his rears were on 10%. And it said that for quite a while, because I think the predicted graphics thing ran down to 10% and they don't want to go any lower when clearly he was still on rails and able to get away. So I, I don't trust that graphic at all. No, not do I. I think it's clearly a a a linear prediction yeah. of just how of distance run via tire wear. They could make a prediction, sort of a tire prediction, because all the teams use thermal data and they'll actually look at the size of the tread, but every team's data will be different. So the FIA are not going to correlate that all to put it into a nice, easy to understand graphic for us. I will say I like it because in the chat room, hello, chat room, uh, you can join the live chat by going on YouTube and searching for Missed Apex podcast. They're joining us live and we're seeing their comments in real time. Edgehammer, who I have learned over the years, is from Denmark, uh, a land I love, says, I love that graphic. It's like Gran Turismo. And Michael Dustelhoff says the next lap, Lewis's tyres would have all been at 30%. I, and I think that highlights some of the inconsistency of it. Oh, and Jamie Douglas just says hello, as does Ian. Oh, I don't mind that. They can all say hello as well. I've completely lost my point though, Carl. Uh, I think the point, the point being is I, I don't like that graphic because it's misleading. However, the principle is good. And if they can develop that with any kind of fidelity, we can go forward with it. Information's always good. So for the for the avid F1 geek like myself, I love it. Give it to me. All right, let's move on from the Mercedes uh, Mercedes inter team battle. (music) 
haven't used that bumper for a while. I was surprised by how cool it was. That's why I seem distracted on the video. Uh, let's talk about the stewarding because it was a big feature of it was a big feature of the race, wasn't it, Matt? And this has been a season long. Uh, not it's not a debacle, but it, it should be in the background, shouldn't it? The stewarding it should be in the background. It should be no fuss. However, it has been right there at the front, and I I believe that. This, more decisions have been going in Ferrari's favour than might ordinarily have been. Oh, that's because you hate Ferrari spanners. That's because you're a Ferrari hater. Yes, well, I understand the optics of that. I would like to tell you that if it was the opposite way round, I would also think it had been slightly more in Mercedes' favour. Hand on heart, I cannot tell you that. However, I don't think it's because the stewards are biased. So I don't think it's because it's FIA, Ferrari International Assistance, and they're doing everything they can to, um, to, uh, uh, to help Ferrari win because they love Ferrari. However, I don't think we can underestimate the influence of Ferrari within the paddock. And it seems like from Canada, from a Ferrari being robbed of a race win in Ferrari's eyes with that five-second penalty to Sebastian Vettel, you can imagine that the very next thing that happened was the whole Ferrari board just charged down the pit lane to the steward's office and really gave them an earful. And there was a massive social media reaction. It impacted negatively on the sport as a, as a whole. So you can then imagine that the FIA was talking to the steward and saying, hey, you know, this is bad. Then we had the whole let them race. We had the whole, okay, we're not going to enforce these these rules so harshly anymore. We're going to have a much more lenient approach. And then we've had a kind of gentle walking back of that. And we've had a walking back of, so at Monza, you can imagine if they had all that pressure from Canada, then certainly on their home ground, they're not going to take out the lead Ferrari with a penalty. They're not going to give Leclerc a penalty. And they came up with the warning flag and then the super secret double warning. But I predicted on the last show that those warnings were going to start getting rolled back and we were going to start seeing things penalised for racing incidents. So we had two big incidents for the Stewart today, stewards today, which was the, the false start. And then we had the Leclerc penalties. Uh, where should we start, Matt? Let's start with the false start. In my eyes... He moved before the green, before the lights went out. It's a, a start that was early or false. So a false start, penalty, nailed on. Yeah, except for that's not how the regulations define a false start. They define a false start as either positioning your car so the transponder that they use to define a false start can't be properly read, or the transponder itself has to register your movement as a jump start. And their exact wording was that the video shows some movement. It was within the acceptable tolerance of the F1 jump start system, which formerly, or I think they meant formally, defines a jump start per Article 36.13, subsection A of the FIA Formula One sporting regulations. There you go. Look it up yourselves, kids. Uh, okay. So uh, did you say? 36.13. Did that get mentioned at all? Uh, A, yes. Uh, okay. So, yeah. All right. So, either of the penalties under Article 38.C will be imposed on any driver who is judged to have moved before the start signal is given. All right. Well, that's cut and dry, Kyle. Well, why was there no penalty? 
they have this weird wishy-washy, you're allowed to move a certain amount. Now, a lot of people have been comparing this to Bottas in Austria in 2017. I believe that was different. He anticipated the lights and got incredibly yeah. lucky. Vettel made a <laughs> distinct movement and then stopped. And the fact that I'm really surprised it's not uh, a nailed-on penalty was that it actually impacted other drivers. So Leclerc said it, it messed his start up because he got distracted. And I've seen it in other race series where somebody flinches and causes a chain reaction of jump starts all the way down the field. So um, I, I'm flabbergasted. I cannot believe that was not a penalty. And I'd love to see some exact numbers on their tolerance, exactly what their tolerance is. Because if they're saying he just didn't activate the sensor, then surely you'd want to park slightly behind the sensor, start to gently roll before you start. And, you, and then you, you've, you've got over the initial inertia of starting the car, so you'll get a better start. So is this not setting a dangerous precedent? Yep, that's what I reckon, Matt. From now on, cars can just start three yards short of the line and just take a run up and try and time it. Yeah, well, I know we're trying to fit a lot of material in, but I am surprised you left out all of the words after the comma in 36.13a, namely, such judgment being made by an FIA-approved and supplied transponder fitted Ah. to each car. So if the transponder says there was no jump start, this is quite literally the regulation. Now, Kyle, you do bring up an interesting and fascinating point about what the rules, how the algorithm is programmed. And if I had to guess at it, the reason we didn't see a jump start from Vettel was because he stopped before he crossed his grid line. No, that's not Number a thing. one, it's not a thing. he stopped before he crossed his grid line. Doesn't matter. And he stopped, he stopped outside of the time limit they use to judge what a jump start is, which if I'm guessing, would be probably somewhere in the 50 to 100 millisecond region, which is well outside of a human reaction, which is around a quarter of a second, 250 milliseconds, but well within... Uh, something that would give you a momentum advantage and be so close that visually you couldn't see it happen. And I, I suspect that's why the sensor didn't trigger. It was because he stopped outside of its parameters. Whether they choose to change those parameters after this is a separate question. Oh, look at, look at Matt trying to filibuster because he, eight points ago, I disagreed with him and then he made seven more gish gallop points that i disagreed with he's vying for your for your affections kyle don't be sucked in let me be the the good angel on the other shoulder the rule isn't you have to be stationary once the lights go red the rules are you can't move before the race starts that's from when the green flag says that you've started the start procedure right so it's it's not about that once you've moved it doesn't matter what you do next once you've moved you're done the other thing is the fia did not say (laughs) <laughs> they this is this is cheeky if you look at their statement they did not say the telemetry didn't pick up any movement right they didn't say that at all otherwise they'd have just said the telemetry didn't pick up any movement they said it picked up movement but it was within the tolerance even though let's go to Aussie Steve because you're a fair man all you Aussies are the, the they said the FIA said we saw him move on the video but the tolerance of our what's it in the what's it in the excuse but they saw him move. If you move before the lights go out, it's a penalty. 
I was just going to agree with you. I, yes. I mean, if their, te- if their technology is so bad that they couldn't see that move on their, you know, senses, then it's time to get new senses or it's time to change the rule. He definitely jumped the start. And as far as I was and concerned and was aware that if you jump the start like that, even if you come to a halt before the red light, yep. you know, drops out, um, it's still an infringement. Um, now, have they changed the rules recently in the last few years to no. you know, circumvent that? I don't think so. And I'm really stunned that, firstly, they didn't give him a penalty for that at all. They just let him drive away. No. Well, well, I think I think the rule is now, Carl, is that you change the rule after a Ferrari car does something and then try to enforce that for a few races and then walk it back because that's a dumb way to make the rules. The flarification, Ferrari clarification that we have. The Ferrarification. The <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> that comes in. But in other series, like, um, I know you hate it, but MotoGP, it is a no ru- uh, move policy and they have all the cameras on the start line and Crutchlow got done at the Argentinian Grand Prix earlier this year with the tiniest, tiniest bit of movement that you couldn't even see and he got penalised for a jump start and everyone agrees it's the rules across the board. So I... I'm, I still can't get my head around this. It doesn't make any sense. So we should use motorbike rules for Formula One. I mean, the rule is written. If the <laughs> okay. transponder says Touché. you've moved, you've moved. And, and if it says you haven't, you haven't. And the stewards, like it or not, are bound by that. It is A move is officially defined by the FIA transponder, not by video evidence. And it absolutely positively without any ability for you to argue otherwise says exactly that in the rules now if you don't like that rule okay come on then that's that that is fair enough and if you think the tolerances are wrong that is fair enough but with regards to vettel today if the transponder didn't go ank jump start then it was not a jump start according to the sporting uh, regulations. Okay, except except matt except matt they d- admitted that their transponder did pick up movement so they no, did. They, they did move, Carl. No, they've. they've if, no, they if, didn't. It, if it didn't pick up movement, they'd have said that our technology just didn't pick up movement. But they didn't say that. So I would say that the FIA they, statement proves they did not say that the oh. transponder picked up movement. They, they, said did, oh. they saw movement oh. on the video, but that that I'll movement find the was statement. within the tolerance programmed into the transponder. Which, if you think about it, kind of explains why what happened happened. Carl, okay. I, I I think they've tried to be a bit too clever here and rely purely on the technology to do the thinking for them and this is a bit of a case of the computer said no the computer said no it was not a jump start even though everybody could see that it was now noticing going through your bit in the notes matt that um they said their their transponders are accurate to two centimeters via gps that's 20 millimeters now if you ask my partner that's an awful long distance um that's an awful long distance um and <laughs> and how can they how can they be like rely on the accuracy of such a long distance as that uh because in my opinion it's not so much the distance it's the timing relative to when the lights go out okay so yep. if you have no forward momentum when the lights go out that's probably what they're looking at well <laughs> I've just got to say that we're kind of arguing a really strange point here because it's obvious that the transponder technology is faulty. Everyone could see the jump. You can't deny there was a jump. It just wasn't read by a little box somewhere. And we're sitting here arguing about how, well, the transponder's right. No, the transponder's wrong. It just needs now to be fixed so that it 
it reflects reality rather than some strange fantasy. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, so let's move on to the Leclerc penalty. Uh, no longer do we let them race. No longer do we not tend to penalize first lap incidents i i think if we were to play whose fault is it which we probably will uh we would say that is definitely leclerc's fault he's he's understeered into verstappen verstappen's done nothing wrong but oh kyle i what i don't like about this is that they told him they didn't tell him to come in as in they didn't do a flag that said come in they took the word of ferrari that they were going to come in and then Ferrari just decided to go back on that. And in my mind, the penalty isn't strong enough because this was this was potentially uh, a historic accident in the waiting. Those bits of carbon fibre, those bits of front wing are horrendously heavy. They're horrendously dangerous and sharp. And in fact, Matt put a photo of halo damage. So I, I think we've been quite lucky today. Uh, yeah, I, I was really surprised that he... He hasn't got um, more penalties personally to him because from what I read from the FIA is they thought and were told Ferrari are bringing him him in. Leclerc ignored the order to come in. So Ferrari did order him in. He ignored the order to come in. And then the FIA actually told Ferrari to then bring him in. And it was extremely dangerous to um, uh, to carry on around like that. But he got the same penalty points. He's had two penalty points added to his license, the same as Rosberg did back in Austria 2016 for driving the car in an unsafe manner and it was incredibly unsafe like i said hamilton got hit in turn three and then got hit again on the back straight when it smashed his wing mirror off bits of carbon fiber hitting you in the face at 200 mile an hour never never a picnic is it no it never is and and this is a classic example of why the meatball flag should have been used from the start by the fia and it shouldn't have been sort of this uh, polite back channel communication. Cause what happened was Ferrari, uh, I'm assuming you're liking the background music you're probably hearing now. Ferrari absolutely told Leclerc to pit. They told Mazzy, the race director, we're bringing him in lap two, but Leclerc couldn't see, didn't know that his in plate was dangling by a couple of shards of carbon fiber. He was going solely off. Oh, the car doesn't feel that bad. It feels very drivable. I should probably not come in. 
And as he's having this conversation, they miss the initial window that they had discussed with the FIA. And the next lap, this is on to lap three now, that's where the in-plate detached, took off Hamilton's wing mirror, and damaged his halo. And yeah, you were incredibly lucky that that's all that happened, because as we learned from uh, when the halo was first implemented, they gauge it has roughly about a 17% chance of deflecting an object like that from a driver. So yeah, it was much more serious than it looked during the race. And it was somewhat petulant from Leclerc to argue it. I mean, your team tells you the car's damaged and to pit. Don't question it. He didn't. He he was questioning it and fighting it. I was like, no, I'm right, but the car feels okay. Uh, your team tells you to pit. You should pit if the car's damaged. I mean, it's brave going into 130R and keeping it pinned, knowing that the team thinks the car's damaged and you don't. That's that's very headstrong. Or young, Steve. That's a young people thing. <laughs> it, it appears to me that uh, young Charlie has taken it upon himself to, you know, he reckons that he knows better than the team. He's done it in a few races now where he's questioned their call. And even if he doesn't necessarily agree with what they're saying, he he races for a team. He doesn't own the team. And if they want to, you know, run their strategy, run their uh, their race in a particular way, he's got to at least uh, be part of that. He can't go against them the whole, whole time. And he's kind of turning into someone who uh, – He's not going to take advice from anybody. He's just going to, you know, do it the way he wants to do it. Now, that's not the way to have a successful Formula One career. That's the way to mm. piss your team off and to get someone hurt pretty bad. So um, I got asked on another platform earlier uh, whether Vettel, because, you know, Vettel, perhaps you could argue, and I don't want to be a hater, perhaps you could argue choked again on the line, made another mistake uh, when he had the opportunity to win. I was asked, is this now the moment to drop Vettel for Leclerc? And I think without the weaknesses that Steve has described there, you might be tempted to say yes, but it is clear there is still some maturing left for Leclerc before he can take over and be the number one for Ferrari. And the more Leclerc does stuff like this, the more Vettel is is more likely to be safe. I think he is probably safe for next season and possibly beyond. However... It does show that Binotto or the senior management at Ferrari do not have a grip on those drivers. There is no fear there. There is no Ross Braun voice of God coming over the radio and telling uh, Nico Rosberg to stop overtaking Hamilton in China in 2014. There's none of that, is there, Matt? That these guys, once they're out on the track, there's no control. Well, I don't know that there's no control, but I think. In this instance, I mean, you can see Hamilton making similar arguments about tires. We can we can see Vettel having done it when he was at Red Bull. We can see pretty much every driver at a certain point feels they know more about what's going on on track, and they don't necessarily trust the team's assessment 100%. And that negotiation, because I didn't feel it was Leclerc being petulant. He's sitting there going... I don't understand why you're telling me to box. The car is basically driving fine. I'm not losing time to the people ahead of me. Coming in now is senseless. We'll just lose a big chunk of time. The team, seeing what the damage is and understanding the back channel communications, mm. 
are not properly communicating to the driver the gravity of the situation. And this happened with Hamilton and his pit stops as well. And I think this is part of what makes the racing hmm. so much fun because you do get this. Steve, but that's where the FIA have got to say it's not up to the teams to bring them in. It's up to us. We see the dangerous thing. We have to bring you in. I And it's not, I'm not saying it's like, it's not rich of them to then impose the fine afterwards, but they have to take responsibility as well for that dangerous situation. Well, well they do. In fact, I think Ferrari are at great fault here as well as Charles, because they didn't just turn around and say to him, you've got bits hanging off the car. You have to come in. This could be dangerous. If they'd said that, well, I'm sure that Charles would have come in. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. I mean, he's a good mate of Bianchi's. You know, he, he that's still fresh in his mind. Um, so I do believe that although he showed petulance and he is arguing with the team about their decisions, if the team had said this is not safe, he would have acquiesced and he would have come in. So I really think that the team has, had been incredibly slack about this, at this in this particular instance. Yeah, they didn't use the D word. They should have just said dangerous. It's dangerous, Charles. Mm. And I'm sure yep. he would have came come straight in. But yeah, yeah, the teams haven't been great at communicating this. They should have just said it's dangerous because the yeah. FA were fully expecting him to come in. They were fully expecting him to come in and were surprised when he didn't. You, you can't, you and, can't. And it's not, sorry, I was about to say, and it's not as if they they don't know that Charlie is a bit argue, argumentative. <laughs> just because he is, they immediately should have just said dangerous, Come in. There is no argument then. Um, just to pick up on a point from the chat room, just to wrap up the Leclerc thing, it was from Gonzo. And yeah, I didn't like this either. It's a lap one incident. They initially said no further action. Then they said, we're going to investigate it. And then we're going to investigate it after the race. Uh, that shows, Matt, to me, that they're not quite clear on their let them race policy. The other thing, if you wanted to be a conspiracy theorist, and if you wanted to pick up on what I was saying earlier about the stewards being under pressure from Ferrari since Canada, it is politically a lot easier to decide your penalty for Charles Leclerc after the race because you know whether you're robbing him of a podium, which is a massive deal and would cause lots of controversy, or whether you're robbing him of sixth place, which no one will care about. Yeah, you could go with that. But I'm pretty sure they went with it was a first lap institute until the phone rang and it was, this is Dr. Marco. Can we have a word, please? You should go look at the video because there was nothing to precipitate this collision other than poor driving on the part of Leclerc. And by poor driving, I don't mean like he intentionally drove into him but just that he was directly behind Vettel and should have anticipated the loss of front downforce that sent him understeering into the side of Verstappen. In other words, he did not exercise due care in mm -hmm. a situation where he should have known very well by this point what the parameters of his car were going to be. And so they looked at it and they said, yeah, you know what? You're right. That's pretty much on Leclerc. So bang, penalty. But at that point, Verstappen's out of the race. So why investigate now when you have all sorts of other exciting things to talk about, like Vettel's jump start? Oh, I don't know. Well, That's the best I can come up well, with. Well, I think my explanation's easier and requires the least new information. Uh, but let's play a game. Whose fault is it? 
So, uh, Kyle, I don't think anyone's going to argue that was Leclerc's fault, that incident. But there were a couple of other incidents during the race. Uh, where should we start? Uh, Matt, Albon. Yeah, let's start with uh, Albon versus Norris. Uh, Albon with something to prove. I've, I think they were really hoping Red Bull. They had high, high hopes of a podium, at least um, in the home race of their engine manufacturer. It, it's Albon's fault, surely. Yeah, yeah, uh, I ha- I have to agree. I'm amazed that he actually escaped penalty <laughs> with, with the let the race thing. And this is just like what I was going on about in Singapore about the um, Kvyat versus Raikkonen. It was a lunge from nowhere. You can't just sideswipe somebody, and it and it ruined Norris's race. It blocked his brake duct, so he had to come in and clear the brake duct. And we know what happened in Canada when he had a blocked brake duct. It it cracked the rear suspension, so so it ruined Norris's race. And and Albon. Again, it, it just came from nowhere. You can't just launch and sideswipe people. It's exactly the same as Kvyat on Raikkonen. Um, and, but, but he hit him just as hard, just luckily, completely alongside. So I'm amazed he didn't get a penalty for that. Yes. I mean, how dare he take advantage of his faster car with its better braking, launch an attack up the inside, make the corner without issue, and then get turned in on by Norris, who naturally would never have seen him coming. I mean, if I'm being honest, this completely reminded me of what I would like to call a carding move, having been the uh, having been on the other side of one of those at our recent uh, escapade. Uh-huh. And but that said, if I look at Albon, was he alongside? Yeah, absolutely. Was he going to make that corner cleanly? Uh, yeah, it sure looked like he was going to. To me, mm. the one time that I saw it in replay, granted, I didn't see it as many times as I normally do. And so does he have a right to make an overtaking maneuver or not? That's really the question. And was it poor judgment on his part, knowing that Norris was probably not going to see him? Yeah, I could give him that. But was it his fault that Norris turned in when he was already there? I don't know so much. Uh, Yes, yes, it is. Norris... Norris is already, again, just like Raikkonen and uh, Kvyat, he was already fully committed to turning into the corner before Albon was even in shot or on his radar or in his peripheral senses his, and his vision. He cannot know that Albon is coming from from like decades behind him <laughs> <laughs> to launch to launch a lunge up the inside totally unexpectedly. So I think it's totally on the driver behind. Yeah, you can have lunges, but you can't just lunge Wait into the side of somebody. Is this is this completely based on Heat Five on the missed apex karting, where I cynically released my brake because I realised the car in front was you, and just <laughs> in fact it was a pretty similar move. To be fair, I, I was I was going to reference <laughs> that, but I didn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> no, no, no. I knew I was cheating in the karting, but I was like, well, it's Kyle. You're a big boy. You're you're wearing your own race suit, uh, and I'm here in a, a Billy. A rental race suit so yeah. I didn't mind at all <laughs> and I thought you'd take it in good humour or at least be too polite to say that you hated me for it uh, okay let's move on to uh, another incident and this has uh, deeper connotations into yet more FIA misstepping it is Perez versus Gasly and I I am a Perez fan I am a declared Perez fan I will say I've been disappointed in Perez in general I mean his out and out pace is fine he's out qualified stroll generally which you'd expect him to but it really feels like he hasn't taken the opportunities in races he's so good at normally when it when there's something a bit different going on he's the one who can make his tires last he's the one who can give himself options this season for whatever reason it just hasn't been happening so when I saw him in the barrier I very unfairly went oh for 
God's sake, Perez, you've you've done it again. Uh, but it did somewhat look like a punt, Kyle. So was it was it Kvyat torpedoing, or, or was it Perez uh, being too hasty on the overtake? Uh, I believe it was it was Gasly, was it not? Oh, Gasly. Oh, apologies, um, apologies, yeah. Kvyat. Um, I actually think the opposite this time. I think Perez could could have given him a bit more room. Yeah. Perez was turning into him. They were side by side and Perez did turn in. It's a very different case for me. Uh, Steve, can you assign blame? Was it the was it the uh, the South American, the Mexican or was it uh, the Frenchman? Uh, I think it was probably uh, Perez. I think it was the Mexican, to tell you the truth, although it's a very kind of grey uh, area. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, and it was it was really grey, uh, but I think it's just an example of how how this season Perez is less clinical and less methodical than he's been in previous seasons. Whether he knows he's underperforming, and and people may disagree with me, I feel like Perez is underperforming this season during race days, so on a Sunday, um, and I think that's an, a, a tip, another example. How old is Perez? He's still young, isn't he? Twenty six, twenty seven. 27 or 28. 27. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. So did all of that count, Matt? Because <laughs> now Chris got, um, got the, got the race end wrong in one of our karting event, uh, uh commentary sessions. He, he declared the race over, uh, called into my helmet cam and started congratulating me on fifth place when I was still in the middle of a battle. But you would expect the FIA to know when the race had finished. What was going on there? Yeah, well, this is kind of your get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, what was going on is we can all think back to Canada when that celebrity was told to wave the flag at the wrong time, and the race ended early. And from that point on, there's actually been a software system that puts up a checkered flag board, and that's what the drivers are officially required to pay attention to. And for reasons that have yet to be satisfactorily explained, this time around in Japan, that checkered flag board came up exactly one lap early, just as uh, Botas was off on his 53rd and final lap. This means that the 52nd lap of the race was the one in which the results were taken. And at that point, Perez was still in the points, Hulkenberg was still in the points, and Stroll, who finished P10 at the official, uh, the unofficially official end of the race distance was in P11. So he wound up losing a point uh, while Hulkenberg and Perez both gained as a result. Okay, so I'm being corrected that Mexico isn't South America. What what do we call it? Is it, it's not Middle America, is it? What's the term? Central. Central America. America. Okay, well, apologies uh, to our Mexican listeners. I don't think we have quite the same following in Mexico that we have in Greece. Ooh, we're massive in Greece. Uh, so where did the Force Indias finish then? Because I genuinely never caught up. I believe Perez was ninth. Oh, so he keeps it. Yes. Right. Um, because he was, he was, when he crossed the line lap 52, he was still in ninth because his altercation with Gasly occurred around turn two of lap 53. And uh, Stroll, as I said, was still in 11th, having not pulled off his last lap overtake of Hulkenberg at that point. Oh dear, SJ is saying Mexico is North America. Right, I'm never referring to continents ever again, especially after I, I put Australia in Asia right at the beginning of the show as well. Uh, uh, Kyle, where did Renault finish? What were the finishing positions for Renault? For Renault? Yeah. Um, I believe Danny Rick got up to seventh, did he yep. not? I think he managed to get up to seventh, which is a really good result. And Hulkenberg just scrapes the last point in tenth because of the FIA's cock up. Okay, so then... Force India, I believe, are leading an appeal 
for Renault to be disqualified from this race. And it looks like several other races as well. What's going on? Why are Renault being accused of, as far as I can tell, out and out cheating or well, an infringement that may constitute cheating? Well, it may well be. Uh, Force, or Sp- Force India Sport has a oh, racing God. point. My, that's, my they are. that's my fault. That's my fault. Whatever they have a 12 page or 15 page document of lots of details. So they've obviously had a tip off. But what they're accusing Renault of is having automatic brake bias adjustment. Now, for a little bit of background or context to this, um, the drive, there is a rule saying the driver has to drive the car unaided. Like, so each changes he makes to the car, he has to make himself. The engineers can't send the telemetry to the car from the pit wall. Now, bear with me. So um, <laughs> think back to 2014 when both of the Mercedes lost their ERS in Canada and they suffered and Hamilton suffered of a rear brake failure. That's because the ERS, when you're harvesting, puts more pressure on the rear brake. It, it uses the braking force essentially to, to harvest the energy. So they need to make brake, brake bias adjustments when they change harvesting and deployment maps. So that's fine because the driver has to switch the switch to make that happen. He's, 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 he's ordered a preset brake bias change. Now what Renault, I think, I think what Renault are doing is they have a distance counter. So the car knows it's traveled another 300 meters and then makes its own automatic brake bias adjustment. So the, so it knows where the corners are. So it's adjusting it corner to corner on its own. Now the problem is the driver hasn't made that change. The car has made that change. So he is no longer driving the car unaided or making things. And I think this is where Renault could be in a bit of bother. Their steering wheels have been impounded. Their ECUs have been impounded. And if they, it, I if they are found that. to have been the car has been making automatic brake bias adjustments and outside of a strategy change that the driver's been doing, I think they're in a lot of bother and they can see when this has been happening. So this might not be the only race that they're in trouble over. Yeah, well, I, I did want to toss out that I think after Leclerc's penalties, it would be sixth that Ricardo finished and not seventh. But I'm interested in that you seem to think that this system is based on where the turns are and that it measures that and automatically applies different brake biases for the turns. That's what I've heard Whereas as well. I was thinking that it was also an adjustment based on tire wear and how deep into the race they had gone. Uh, in other words, it's often the case that we hear a call on the radio for drivers to try adjusting their brake bias as they get closer and closer to pit stops. The oh, tires no. wear more. And, and they need, they need to try and keep them alive and balance the errs as you were talking about with the, um, with the brakes. So uh, to my knowledge, nobody really knows what's in this 12 page dossier exactly wow. yet. So it's, it's kind of, it's going to be a very fascinating reveal when we finally hear a little bit more about it. Like this isn't small though. This is a, that would be a major, if, if not ingenious, you know, breach of the rules. Uh, I, I wonder what they'll do. I mean, at this point, if you start retrospectively awarding points, it has serious connotations for the championship. Are they going to start looking? Oh, well, you've, you've had that in every race since, uh, since Russia. Therefore, we're going to take all those points away. Steve. Well, I think that the only thing they can do if, if they find that Renault had been doing it, doesn't matter how long they've been doing it. They've been blatantly cheating. They've just got to take away, perhaps bar them from the, the whole year's competition. Well, Matt, I mean, maybe they just, they know they're going to sell the team to Dimitri Mazapan anyway. So why not just roll the dice? Why not? Well, I think we can look back instructively and uh, remember when Red Bull 
was running that front wing that would stall itself using springs cleverly hidden in the <laughs> front wing adjuster that that would just flatten when they went fast enough. And they ran pretty much a whole season that way. And as I recall, when they finally got turned in at the last race, I do believe they only lost points on that last race. So I would be, there is some precedent that it may only be this race they're excluded from. But I do, if I can, the chat room has brought up the interesting question of why don't the drivers just make these adjustments on their own? Because there is a brake bias adjustment in the cockpit for them to use. And I'm curious if Kyle has any insight on that. Yeah. So I was going to say, if they are caught doing this and making these minor adjustments, they must only be minor adjustments. Otherwise, the driver will be really caught out by it. Why? It's utterly pointless. It's something that drivers tend to do anyway, is flick the brake bias around. So this is why I'm thinking it's a very small optimization corner to corner. And as you said as well, maybe dependent on tire wear. So it's it seems a bit needless, really, and I don't think it's a massive performance advantage either. So it seems a bit odd why they'd even risk something like this for essentially a, a nicety um, for the yeah. car to do it for you. And drive, what, are the drivers lazy? I mean, <laughs> why would they do this? Uh, I don't know. Well, Ricciardo looks uh, quite laid back. Tar27 in the chat room says, how did Racing Point know this? It's a good question. There must be a mole in the Renault camp. And Gonzo Georgism says, Renault needs to be banned if caught with this, just like BAR was banned back in 2005 for the low car. Yeah, I don't know. All the teams skirt this. I think Matt has um, Matt has cited Red Bull. If you look at Red Bull, when the fuel flow meters came in, when they uh, made the pipe flexible on the other end of the fuel flow meter so that more fuel could gather and they could use that, that wasn't a ban. That was having those results removed, wasn't it? So I think having the results removed is is probably... Is probably proportionate. Let's move on to the podium. Well, congratulations, because I'm sure all of Mercedes. Uh, AMG F1 Patronus have been sitting waiting for the podium section of Missed Apex podcast. Congratulations to any Mercedes team members listening. They are now six times the World Constructors Championship in this latest iteration. And they are also guaranteed to be the six times uh, World Driver Champions as well, because everybody has been eliminated from the driver competition except for Valtteri Bottas and although Valtteri Bottas won today and although in my opinion Mercedes exercised a level of fairness and judgment which I agree with because I think Vettel were uh, sorry I think Bottas was more than owed a win and is more than deserving of the amount of wins he's had this season I I still think that the Singapore Grand Prix, when he was told to slow down to make sure he didn't undercut Lewis Hamilton, tells you everything you need to know about the potential Valtteri Bottas championship challenge this season. There isn't one. This is now being managed and we are now on a run-in to Lewis Hamilton's sixth world driver championship. But we do give out some awards here on Missed Apex podcast. We, uh, we give out uh, a bad thing, uh, another bad thing, and one for our chat room. But first, we do our thing of the weekend. Let's uh, turn over to Matt. Two rumpets at Matt PT 55. 
Now, Matt, I was speaking to a top musician. I won't name drop, but it was a, it was a, you know, one of the, one of the bands in the early aughts in, in Britain, that wave of indie bands with a certain kind of hair, a Glastonbury uh, performer who listens to the podcast and got in touch with me. And he went, do you know what? It's not Liam Gallagher, but they were Northern. Do you know what? He says, you've got that Matt on there. You say, I follow him. He's like, he's, I'll I'll drop the axe now. But he was like, he is a proper, proper musician. All right. He's, he does all these venues. He's had this career behind him. And all you ever talk to him about is the mucky books his wife writes. And because in fact, previously (laughs) he, he was talking about doing some stuff, combining music with F1 and maybe doing some stuff with us as well. So we may reveal more, uh, going forward. However, um, I said to him initially, yeah, do you know what? We really are lacking musical talent um, on our podcast. Oh, hang on. Felix does play the piano a bit, our website manager. Oh, and, and Mrs. Spanners at the karting events plays a bit of piano and sings as well. Oh, and Matt Trumpets, of course. The name should have given it away. We underplay your talent, sir. Where can people find out more about you and your music stuff? And you did a, an album not too long ago. Uh, we'll be doing an album. Oh, there we go. In the you started process. one. Hopefully in the next yeah. eight to eight to 12 months. Musicians are terrible. Yeah. Uh, sometime we, we in terrible. the next decade. No, well, the, uh, the album thing was complicated by the person I'm working on leaving New York entirely. So that, that sort of sent the schedule a little bit out of control, but I think, I think we're getting close. We have the people we want and it's just a matter of enough rehearsal time. As far as figuring out what I'm up to, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram. You know, if I'm doing something worth paying attention to, a lot of what I do is just sort of like, I don't know, everyday jobs, mm-hmm. receptions, this, that, the other. But when I'm doing something fun or interesting or a big concert in a hall somewhere, I'll definitely uh, put it out there if anybody wants to. Come I will check it say, out. don't follow Matt on Facebook because it is literally just pictures of trumpets. Like he would just take a picture of his trumpet and just post it every now and then. Uh, and of course, if you want to tell Matt, follow his dream of not working anymore and buying a shiny Ferrari, then follow his wife at A Weaver Writes on Twitter. Maybe consider buying some of her romance novels. Matt, who is your thing of the weekend? You know, I thought about this and I thought about this and ah, there's so many really good choices this weekend. So many excellent things happen. But I'm going to have to go with Alex Albon. And especially his qualifying lap where he matched Verstappen, because that was just a thing of joy to watch him growing into this car and starting to feel really confident with it. And yeah, I know he didn't get the best start, but he did manage to finish fourth by hook, crook, or slightly lungy pass. <laughs> and so I, you got to hand it yeah. to him. I mean, he has delivered the goods for Red Bull as a straight up rookie. And that's fairly impressive. My concern will be, does he get the time to prove himself? And I have no faith whatsoever that he will, but we are backing him all the way, I think, as a project and as a podcast. And uh, I at least hope he gets a fair shake of the dice. Kyle Power, your edginess knows no bounds. I'm not going to comment on your personal hygiene, Kyle. It's 
beyond reproach. I encourage everyone actively to go and smell Kyle when they meet him. And I know that Kyle is grateful when I tell him to do that. You are now on Twitter at KylePowerF1. So you can now follow him in Twitter. You no longer have to follow him around Cambridge. He's also BBC Cambridge's subject matter expert on Formula One on a Saturday lunchtime. Who is your thing of the weekend? Well, my thing of the weekend is Carlos Sainz actually yeah, smashing man. it and yeah. putting in an absolutely amazing drive. He got to lap 26 on the softs, I believe, and he was only 10 seconds back off Albon and a Red Bull at the end. Um, I think he put in a stunning performance, as he has done the last couple of races. He's, he's massively solid. I do. I am a bit worried he's, he's going to turn into the next Hulkenberg, though. Journeyman. Like, as in, yeah, journeyman. But mm. yeah, what, what, what a great performance all weekend. I see you picking signs, but uh, I'm just going to say, man, that entire car plus the team are looking looking pretty good yeah. lately. There, there does look that, like there's a genuine change there. And, and as much as I, I do agree with uh, with Kyle and there is a, a danger of journeymanness from Carlos Sainz, he could also be right now in just exactly the right environment to thrive as well. And Landon Norris, you know, he's still in his first season. He's beatable. I think Sainz needs to enjoy that purple patch. Well, Lando Norris is still beatable as well. Uh, let's go to uh, Steve Amy, our video man. This studio, all you see before you, all around you, Matt's background, everything, all of this. Uh, not the bit where my hand gets cut off by the, the limits of my webcam. Uh, that's not Steve at all. But everything else you see here is uh, your fair hand, Steve. And as I'm sure you'll attest, I'm very easy to work with and I follow all your instructions impeccably. Most. Oh, don't laugh yeah, like that, Steve. No. <laughs> when you remember them. <laughs> You're not on Twitter because I don't know why. Is it like a religious thing? No, I just can't see the point, really. I I can get into arguments with people without having to go onto Twitter. Well, so. there you go. Well, in Australia, isn't it? It's just part of like the education system, wandering dra- down the street, you know, good day, pick yep. a fight. Uh, well, in fact, the best way to speak to Steve then is to join our Slack group that I, I invite all our patrons to join so you can speak to Steve. That's worth the price of entry alone uh, by going to, to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. There's three things. Uh, you can get there apart from joining us in our our lovely forum it's a great space to hang out during race day Uh, there's a tier there you can get uh, an advert free feed we are ad supported but we're happy for that to be removed for our patrons and also there is a patron only podcast that we put out it's not as good as this but it goes on the ad free feed and we take less care and attention but we do get a little bit more personal steve amy what is your thing of the weekend well, I agree with Matt. There were lots of things this weekend that were good. Um, I guess really I'm going to give it to Ricardo for ending oh, up <laughs> seventh and then sixth. It's not because I'm an Australian, but sure. because he that car he's driving is absolute crap and uh, he managed to get it up near the front. Yeah. So I'll give it to him. But that's not really the thing of the weekend. That's just one of them. The thing of the weekend for me was the very first f- – I don't know, 150 metres of the very first lap of free practice one. Science came out. He was the first car out and he got about 100 metres and his engine stopped. And I immediately burst out laughing and ran for the tinfoil hat, thinking McLaren have done it. Uh, uh, Renault have done it. They've they've hobbled him as soon as he's come out of the the, uh, pit lane just to get back at 
at McLaren having signed a deal with Mercedes. So my thing of the week really was that breakdown. It made me laugh for, for hours. Okay, well, I am going to go on, Matt. I was going to say, after that, I suppose we have to cancel our announcement about being sponsored by Renault. Yeah, and also those conspiracy theories were from Steve, maybe Matt, definitely not me, uh, even though it does seem like Toro Rosso also accused them of that same thing. Uh, so, you know, whatever, smoke, fire, etc. It doesn't matter. We don't have to be nice to Renault anymore. Mazepan's buying them, confirmed on this Apex podcast. Uh, I will give my thing of the weekend uh, to the number two drivers in general, actually. It was a, it was a weekend where things were different. The schedule was... Uh, completely turned on its head and some drivers stepped up and took that opportunity. I would, I'm still going to give it to Stroll, even though he lost out eventually, just because that qualifying performance for him relatively was good. I am somewhat reluctant to do that because there's a habit on the commentary that annoys me. uh, And I might have just been guilty of doing the same thing, which is when you have one of the top three cars top three teams cars starting at the back they're constantly praising and getting excited so there was huge excitement for Leclerc pulling off a a sector three overtake on a Alfa Romeo and that shouldn't be something you're you're getting excited about they're only there because they've made an error so maybe I'm guilty of doing that with Stroll however uh, given how up against the wall he's been in qualifying I will give it to him Uh, we don't just do good awards here we do do the odd negative award Who missed the apex for you, Matt Trumpets? Oh, there are so many. Once again, excellent and complete choices. But I'm going to have to go with Leclerc because he quite literally missed the apex of turn two (laughs) and destroyed Red Bull's premier chance at a podium at their home race. And then he almost accidentally killed Hamilton while he was at it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he's young. He will learn. I don't hate him. People who are about to come yell at me. No, no, we don't hate him. But Steve, Steve made, I think Steve encapsulated uh, the problem of Leclerc. And we have to remember he is a young guy in his second season of Formula One who's been thrust to the very top of the sport. Kyle Power, who missed the apex for you? I might have to have an unpopular one. Um, and I'm going to have to say Lewis. It's going to have to be Lewis for his, for his, uh, cool down lap radio when, when, um, Mr. Wolf come on and had, and knew Lewis was going to be throwing the toys out the prab. And I'd say we've just won the constructors championship. And Lewis is like, yeah, well, congratulations, you guys. It's like, giving your kid a choc ice and they're still complaining it's too cold i know i mean that was my (laughs) and the thing is he's he's still gonna win the world championship isn't he so yeah perhaps a little bit more awareness from the current champ who will still be the champ as we go into next season there really is no best candidate for the pony award as well although i will say i think lewis does get charged uh get uh judged harshly for his radio messages he's normally pretty calm but i think on this occasion because he kept asking he was talking about the tires and then it was like tell me again why didn't i go on the hards i get it i get it but it is pony worthy steve amy who missed the apex for you uh i'd have to agree with matt say leclerc but since uh matt has already stolen that one i'll give it to the stewards for god's sake guys please get consistent 
And that will be a $7,500 fine for you, Steve. Fortunately for you, it's in Australian dollars. So you'll just have to not go to Costa once. I assume. I don't know the current <laughs> exchange rate. Uh, let's see. Missed the Apex Award. Oh, it's got, it's got to go to Vettel, hasn't it? It's got to go to Vettel for the jump start. That was his own personal error. And he unfortunately does make a habit. He does make a habit of it. And we made the list of what points he could have got in 2017 and 2018. I think I was happy with the conclusion that he won, could have won the championship in those years. I don't think it's quite the same in 2019, but he could be a lot closer. Uh, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Spanners Ready and you can follow the show at Missed Apex F1. And I would never dream, I would never once ever even think about leaving the live stream without giving out the most important award. Comment of the week. Matt Trumpets, you monitor our fantastic chat room. Incredibly busy in there. Could you give us a few nominations and your winner of Comment of the Week? Yes, well, we will start with Ian Frost. May I say how handsome Trumpets looks today? Oh, hang on knowing it would be red on the air even if he wasn't going to win. Congratulations, you have figured out my vanity exceedingly well. Boo. Um, uh, I had our friend European is up with two. My favorite being Steve has quantum entanglement-free locations because he's been switching his backgrounds the whole time we've been on video, for those of you listening. Oh, do you know what? If I did that, if I pulled those antics, video man Steve Amy would be kicking off at me. But look at you. Uh, do as you say, not as you do, apparently. Oh, we switched backgrounds again. <laughs> now it's a shark and a crocodile. Carry on with the nominees, Matt. Very well. Uh, Hansink. Nah, Vettel did nothing wrong, according to the transponder. I wonder what the calibration certificate looks like. Quote, accurate within one meter. I thought that was a pretty good one. Uh, Michael Dieselhoff in with not only tire graph, guessed by AWS regarding the new tire graphics. Personal favorite of mine. But Charles Leckrock regarding Steve's background at the start. Strong candidate. And then we find, finally come once again to an European going, even if at Matt Trumpet's Laundry skills may be debatable, looking at how fast his black Mist Apex Efren shirt turned gray. His looks make it awesome anyway. Stop complimenting Matt to get comment of the week. And there is a new Mist Apex gray shirt that I am not sporting because I'm still carrying some summer holiday weight. So I want the flattering black, as does Kyle. Who's the winner, Matt? I think we're going to have to go with Michael Dieselhoff, Charles LaCroix. Thank you very much, guys. Do feel free to come and join us on Facebook as well by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook. I've said Facebook twice, just say Facebook a bunch more times. You can also follow us on YouTube. If you are an audio listener, come and check out what we're doing on the video version. I have to say that because Steve's glaring at me, uh, but also download the podcast as well. Subscribe to us. If you click the little bell, you'll get a notification when we go live and you can join us in our live chat room as well. And do please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Until we see you next time, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, but glory. Last forever, this was Missed Apex.
Okay, so a little bit inside baseball here. Every time you saw Steve looking down and scribbling, that's when he deemed that I did something wrong video-wise. And I'm like, ah! Every time I see you look down, I'm like, ah, I failed you, Uncle Steve. I failed you. He's like, that'll at the start, you were distracted. Oh, no. That was a very uh, long... too many spinners. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.